This is The Rhythm of Faith with Eddie Paul. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to work with an organization whose concentration was in helping victims of Hurricane Katrina. Our job was to go in, assess, work with the families, find jobs, find new housing for all these individuals who had suffered through so much and lost literally everything. I don't think I could tell you how many times I ran into families where individuals had lost social security numbers birth certificates, bank records, everything they owned was gone in an instant. One individual that stuck out in my mind, his name was Donnell. His story comes to mind because Donnell literally sacrificed everything for his family, for his community. You see, when everything started happening, he had everything he needed. The man had a boat, the man had a car, he had a pickup truck. He had everything he needed to get his family out of town. And instead of doing that, he got his family to safety and went back. And he helped family after family, individual after individual, heck even pet after pet, dogs, cats, snakes, get out alive. Now he could have gotten all of the stuff out of his house and made sure that everything that he owned was out of the way and safe with his family. But he didn't do that. He went back time and time again, rescuing family after family. I look at his story and how his family literally had to start from nothing because there was no identifying information that said he owned any of the property that he claimed any of the bank accounts that he claimed, any of the credit cards, nothing. He literally sacrificed everything for others around him. I think of this story because as a person of faith, I have to ask myself, how many times have I sacrificed everything for Jesus? How many times have I had the opportunity to and let it go by? Sure, it's easy to give a couple of dollars to an individual experiencing homelessness or volunteering at my church or getting involved in some sort of children's program, but when have I truly sacrificed? On this edition of The Rhythm of Faith, I want to introduce you to a man who's done that time and time again. Every time he makes a move, it's for others. Every time that he makes a sacrifice. He's sacrificing for more than just himself and his family. Stay tuned.
Dyatlik from Ukraine, which is which was used to be the part of the former Soviet Union, and many people, uh, I think they got to know that Ukraine is not Russia. Maybe only recently, with all that is going on currently in Ukraine with the revolution and the war. Uh, so we do not say the Ukraine anymore. From 1991, we just say Ukraine. So because the Ukraine, in our context, uh, so it says that we are the part still of something uh, or a colony of something bigger. remember uh, this spiritual source, spiritual hunger and the moment when I got my first Bible. And this is very important because many still nations, they don't have the Bible. 
and we those who have who own the Bibles this is our responsibility to bring the Bible to them or at least to help somehow to bring the Bible to him the full word of the Lord and this is where I got also my love to mission work and to look for alternative ways so if you cannot preach publicly so you can start an underground print shop <laughs> so if you cannot do it now you uh, cannot share the gospel this way like in Russia so you can do it you can look for another ways <laughs> of sharing the gospel so this is a kind of alternative <laughs> uh, thinking so wow so as you you <coughs> entered this world with your dad and he shares his his secret with you um it had to had to be kind of intimidating almost scary for you as a seven-year-old was it yeah seven or eight years old uh, i knew uh, that many underground printers were arrested so it was like wave after wave the soviet government or the kgb arrested one generation of underground Christian printers. Others learned how to do this and came in their place. I visited uh, Yakutia. This is North Siberia of Russia. I was uh, teaching there for nine years in a Bible school, helping uh, other Christian leaders. And I actually met a number of uh, former underground printers which were arrested in Ukraine, sent to jail to Siberia, uh, had their term and they decided to stay there. Uh, and also we had an underground bulletin called it of uh, imprisoned church, so if you translate it literally. So and they provided updates about the families and the needs and uh, the children and how we can help and what's going on so it was a secret journal was spread to trusted individuals and this is where we learned uh, also a lot about what's going on in some other um, countries of the person where the church was persecuted and especially my interest was other underground uh, train shops now my father uh, has official so this is his business <laughs> hmm. from 1991 and he prints books for state universities uh, researches monographs and Christian literature and my brothers and sisters are involved in this uh, in this business uh, so now he can do this publicly and legally and officially but it started <laughs> right. as an underground uh, that's awesome. print shop that's very very cool um, so when did that become legal for, for him to start doing that? Yeah, he started uh, in 1986. Uh, Gorbachev released uh, all religious and political prisoners uh, because they called it perestroika. So now reformation, <laughs> but the reformation of the Soviet Union didn't work and it collapsed in 1991. So in 1991, it was possible uh, to do it legally because still during the five years of perestroika uh, they had the Soviet economic system and then uh, 15 countries got their independence in 1991 and some systems changed 
and it allowed more churches to exist legally and underground Christian activities to exist legally. Uh, it became legal to register mission societies, Bible societies, other stuff. It was like an explosion in, in early 90s. Despite a ceasefire that took place in 2014, more than three years of conflict has left more than two million Ukrainians displaced from their homes. More than a million Ukrainians have sought asylum in their neighboring countries, and many fled with barely anything in search for safety. Um, I was in Novosibirsk in um, late November, early December 2013, on the way to Yakutsk, North Serbia, Siberia, when I read on the news that uh, the second revolution started. The first one was in 2004, and we call it the Orange Revolution. And this second revolution is called uh, the Revolution of Dignity. So I was actually in uh, Siberia when I read the news about what happened in, in, in Ukraine. And uh, I was very much worried because it was obvious that it will not end as peacefully as the first revolution ended. And then, uh, so we see now the, the consequences, the results uh, of that, not of the revolution, but of the deep corruption and how the nation reacted to this, uh, to the corrupted uh, government. And I, uh, as a Christian, as a confessing Christian or practicing Christian, when I read this first news, I got immediate question in my mind. How should we, as practicing Christians, not just normal Christians, but Christians who love Jesus and who want to follow Him in everyday life, what is our response? And um, I have, uh, I can share with you several lessons which I learned personally. I cannot speak for the whole church, but uh, what I learned personally. <clears throat> uh, the first big lesson I learned is that we as practicing Christians should be very careful choosing the language who is our enemy. Because uh, if we take, if we decide this is our enemy, go and kill it, go and fight with it. As a practicing Christian, how I can share the gospel with my enemy? If I call him or her with abusive words, does it help to change the mind, the thinking of these people? And frankly speaking, I can say that on the, either a bullet, a bullet from a gun or the gospel can change the person. So you either stop it just with killing or sharing the gospel. So this is that radical in, in our context. 
because the corruption and the level of hatred is so deep that it's very difficult to talk about peacemaking. And I would rather fire the gospel than a bullet uh, uh, by working with Ukrainians and, and Russians. So this was my first challenge and question. What kind of armor, what kind of weapon I would use in this political and even physical world? Uh, I have to confess I'm pacifist. I'm practicing pacifist. So this is why I speak from this point of view. And the second lesson which I learned is that when we speak about the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came into this world, incarnated into this world to share with us his life to call us to be with him and to spend the eternal life with him and the incarnation of Jesus Christ is not about friendly environment the incarnation of Jesus Christ is about the environment of enemies so people who are enemies of God. So the incarnation is about bringing peace with these people and bring these people uh, in peace with the Lord. And then when I speak about the relationships and think about the relationships of Ukrainian and Russian church, I think we should change the language, political language, who is enemy to whom, and just think like Jesus Christ how I can incarnate into the environment of my enemies and bring peace of Jesus Christ, peace of the Lord to this group of people and to build this bridge. So, and it is challenging in everyday life, it's very challenging. When I go to Russia, I spend about two months visiting our partners and when they come when my Russian friends come to Ukraine so, and when we choose to speak this language of peacemaking, language of incarnation, language of Jesus Christ, it's very challenging for both sides because of the growing ethnic nationalism, religious imperialism, uh, you want to, your nations to grow and we see the slogans on both sides let us make Russia great again let us make Ukraine great again and when you make a country or the nation one nation great again what about other minor nations around you? second language uh, how I can literally follow the example of Jesus Christ working with those who are political enemies to our countries and to our church but what about the gospel as a practicing Christian what is my language I sometimes ask my fellow Ukrainians 
If you got one minute to talk to Vladimir Putin, what would you tell him? Only few of them responded that they would share the gospel with, with him. So most of them wanted to ask him to return to Crimea, <laughs> to get out of Eastern Ukraine, uh, to stop his campaign in Syria and uh, other stuff. But as uh, I mentioned, this is either a bullet or the gospel, a bullet or a gospel, which can change uh, the life. And um, still another example is a practicing Christian. And maybe those who read the Bible, uh, those who listen to this podcast and read the Bible, um, we see the language of empire in the Old Testament. And we see the language of the nation of God. And when God created the nation of God, the nation that he wanted to use to attract the attention of other nations to him as the creator, as the Lord, as God who wants to love, wants to care for all the nations, but who chose to speak through this prophet, through this nation. So we see certain pattern in the Old Testament when the nation of God was living God or became unfaithful to God broke with God so we see that God used empires to discipline them and this is as a Ukrainian I don't like this part of the story when I read in the prophets when God says, I will raise Nebuchadnezzar, I will raise that emperor and that emperor, I will, I will bring them to your land, I will bring them to your country. I don't like it. I even, I would say, I, I even hate this uh, as a Ukrainian who cares and loves his own country. But as a practicing Christian who belongs to the nation of God of the New Testament, I see that this is God's hand of disciplining uh, the, the nation, the people of God. And this is this was done through empires. Assyrian Empire, Babylonian Empire, Medo-Persian Empire, Greek Empire, Roman Empire. So it was the Lord, and we see this in the prophets in the, in the book of Daniel, who was raising these empires and destroying them as the architect of human history, of human civilization. And in the center of this was the people of God. So those whom God wanted to discipline so that they would uh, represent Him in this world, His values, His love, uh, His care. When I look back at the church history, I see the same pattern. When Christian church concentrated mostly on political environment, on defending the borders of the empire, and was losing its first calling, its primary calling, to share the gospel with other nations. Go, as Jesus said. So we see that if you don't go to share the gospel with the nations, the nations come. Barbarians came to Rome, Turk Osmans came to Byzantine Empire and many other 
local occasions when you don't go to them, they come. And they come not in the way we would like, so that they would come and sit and listen how we talk about the Lord to them. So they, but they come actually to to hear the gospel, to hear about God, to hear about the Lord, what He's doing. And so I see this also as a very strong pattern, not just in the Old Testament, but in church history. So if we do not go to the world, the world comes to us. If we do not become practicing Christians in the world, we become like the world. And uh, uh, applying this locally in Ukrainian-Russian relationships and in the context of the hybrid war, I see a similar pattern. I, I know that some may argue with this, but I see the same pattern. We Ukrainian church sent lots of, probably hundreds and thousands of missionaries to Russia. But after the year 2000, probably after the Orange Revolution, so uh, the Russia was not our primary missionary field. So we started speaking more of the language of political enemy and hatred and all these kinds of, of the consequences. And then I see if we st- stopped going to Russia to share the gospel, Russians came not in the way we Ukrainians like, not the way we want it. How do we react to this? Do we submit to the Lord and choose, choose the language of incarnation, the language of love to the enemy? And it is hard, but to learn how we learn this, this love to get this love of Jesus Christ to your enemy. And uh, for me, it was also a tough lesson. So if we respect the Lord as the architect of history, as the one who makes the final decisions. How we submit to him in such times. How we keep our focus on what God is doing and not on what we want to do. How we develop as practicing Christians, confessing Christians, to respond with love in the context every day. So this is a choice, either a bullet or the gospel. For me is is that simple. And uh, the final uh, lesson, it was uh, the lesson of love. Uh, my uh, nephew, so the son of my cousin, was killed in the end of February 2014 at the Maidan uh, by, by the snipers. And when my father and I, in 2015, we got the chance to help one of the Ukrainian brigades with some of the supply, and not military supply, not weapon, just food, medical care uh, for assault group and uh, groups and other stuff, which allowed us to talk with soldiers about Jesus Christ and the gospel. I consciously avoided to visit a tent of the snipers. Uh, my nephew was shot by the snipers, I had this uh, hatred toward this professional group. And um, 
I uh, hated them with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my power. Like God is calling us to love Him with all this. So I felt it. I hate them with all this, with all my soul power and, and strength. Because these people, they know what they are doing. They look, they see your face. like in the war when you're shooting and you don't see often uh, whether you kill the person or not and this was my this hatred that I thought these people are not worthy to hear the gospel because they are purposefully killing other people but then uh, as my wife and I we were praying and we when we pray together sometimes we pray uh, the Lord's prayer together and probably uh, you remember this word from the Lord's Prayer and forgive us our sins as and for me it was like as and I uh, didn't follow the biblical text I heard in my mind as you forgive the snipers mm. so it was like Jesus was reminding me so forgive me my sins as you forgive the snipers mm-hmm. and I saw the results very bad results the, the death of my um, nephew brought into uh, his family how it influenced his father and his mother and ruined many things uh, because it was just like killing hunting for people so they were sitting on the top buildings and just for hunting like in Las Vegas uh, recently right. so right. imagine uh, several dozens of such snipers just hunting and killing people uh, uh, you don't have a place to hide because you don't know where they shoot from different locations right. and I realized that as a practicing Christian I should confess this so I called my pastor Oleg to go with me to this military camp and since I was not able to do it on my own so I invited him let us go together to this tent of the snipers with about 40 snipers in the tent uh, so at the military camp where they were trained and uh, to go to Eastern Ukraine and then he shared the, the gospel with them and he concluded let us pray the Lord's prayer so every sniper so everybody stood up took off their heads and, and we were praying and then uh, I cannot explain this, I cannot describe this, but at that moment, in the tent of the snipers, I just clearly felt that uh, the Lord released me, uh, get, got, uh, gave me freedom from this hatred. So I was able then to continue to talk to them, and because I was able to pray and forgive me my sins, as now, with your help, with your grace, I forgave these snipers for what they did. I now do not think that I don't, they are not worthy to hear the gospel, to hear about Jesus Christ. Now I can share with them. So it was just my personal experience, my personal lesson in the context of the war. So what it costs, it's not just theology, it's not just practicing the Bible in general, but when it comes to the time that you hate someone, that someone from your family is killed, how do you 
deal with this as a practicing Christian. How do you pray the Lord's Prayer in such uh, situations? And with your example, teach others to forgive and to bring the love of Jesus Christ. So for me, it's that simple. Either a bullet, a bullet, or the gospel. You fire, you have two choices only. And for me, um, so now speaking as a Ukrainian, um, I would say that when we start reviewing historical borders, which were more or less established often after the Second World War, what you take as a starting point, how far you can go back. Uh, I think that uh, those people who listen to us, they know what is the uh, big flood and the family of Noah which survived. So we will end, we will have to go back to the flood, to the big flood, to that family. <laughs> and how you trace these historical borders back mm-hmm. the time. And so if we take this as a principle to restore historic, historical borders, I, th- I think the human civilization will just kill itself. Everybody will be fighting for everybody because at every historical stage there were different historical borders and Mm -hmm. what is the zero point. So this is not the response. This is not what makes the nation great again if we restore the historical borders Mm -hmm. because it is very artificial question. Right. But I would rather prefer to be great as a Ukrainian with the art, with music, with philosophy, Mm-hmm. with theology, uh, with the attitude, with hard work, with honesty. Uh, so I think these are the characteristics which make the nation really great. <laughs> and not just militaristic spirit. Fight, okay, you killed your enemies, what's next? We cannot teach just to extend our empire because we extend it, we won, What's next? As we as human beings, how we build our society, our community, what is important? And we see this as the example Christian church during two, almost three centuries, it took over the Roman Empire without one bullet. Hmm. One bullet. Yeah. Just the attitude, honesty, music art, relationships, only 200 years compared to many hundreds of years. And this is what we as practicing Christians, as confessing Christians, this is what we can do. This is for me the way how we should transform the society from inside. We are so grateful to Taras for sharing his story of faith and wrestling through it in the midst of the chaos and confusion of war. If you want to support more than 2 million Ukrainians who have had to flee their homes, you can give to the UN Refugee Agency at unrefugees.org. We want to give special thanks to artists Audio Avenger, Jazar, Jay Blank, Mind's Eye, Little Glass Men and Blue Dot Sessions for today's tracks. 
Look for our story wrap-up show around the first of the month, where we answer your questions on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to share a story, connect with us at rhythmfaithlove at gmail.com. Until next time, one love.